Hey, crew. What's going on? You name yourself family on Zoom? It, yeah, it's, uh, it defaults to family, but I'm changing it now. <laughs> cool. For full disclosure, this is not, I'm not representing the family. I'm representing myself today. Your daughters can't co-sign everything you're going to say. Okay. Not quite. <laughs> it's close. They'll have their own day where they can make their thoughts. <laughs> you know, my, one of my stepdaughters is really thoughtful and she'd actually be great if she could be not so nervous. Like, it would be great to have, like, well, oh, you're not on Facebook, so you didn't see. She um, entered a If I Were Mayor contest and had some really good ideas, but she didn't win because I think they were too pragmatic and it wasn't cute flowery prose or whatever. And she'd be great to have on, except for she'd get all nervous and think that, you know, feel a lot of performance, like pressure to perform grownups. Yeah, I like that. That thanks for mentioning that, Ellie. Um, I was well, I like the idea of just kids that are not of voting age um being engaged in a political thought process. I think that's really awesome and powerful and can be funny, but it also they can they have really good ideas too. And uh, to encourage that um, beyond just people that vote, but just everyone's consciousness on that front is awesome. And uh, I was actually just thinking about what my, <laughs> what kind of kids my, uh, how my kids are going to develop their political consciousness going forward. As, as I was reading a book on, on on anarchism, I was like, is my kid going to find this book in ten years and become an anarchist or become an authoritarian? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I know when I was a kid, because my my kids, my uh, my parents were politically active in the Democratic Party in the in the eighties. My dad especially, and um, I was a big uh, Republican in, in those. I was a big uh, uh, Ronald Reagan fan at that same time because uh, to a kid, Ronald Reagan's awesome. He's the perfect uh, idea of a president when you're a kid in grade school. But also, I, I enjoyed um, irritating my dad being the kind of contrarian to his, uh, his liberal democratic leanings. So it was kind of a, a reactionary um, acting out, I think at the same time. So what kind of, what kind of kids am I going to produce in, along those veins? How can you react? How can you be a, 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 I guess a rebel against an anarchist? I don't know. I'm, I'm eager to find out. Hmm. You could become really, really centrist. <laughs> you Maybe become a, that's the opposite. Yeah. Like absolutely love <laughs> the status quo. Like think this, you know, just think like, like, like wanting like John McCain and Biden politics for the rest of America's <laughs> future. Or yeah, I mean, I. Or you know they, that to me they, seems they, the opposite. Yeah, they could become very religious and get into Jesus or some other religion. I, I suppose that would be a good. A good um, rebellion against anarchy. I guess it depends on the the style, because if they actually lived like actual Jesus, it's quite compatible with the. Well, actual Jesus, style. yes, Act, actual Jesus is an anarchist, but actual Christianity not so much. Yeah. So yeah, if we could have a ch a, a children a children's civic cooperators, that would be very cool. Children themed civic cooperation. I would, sure. I would just be an amazing social experiment. I would just be excited to see what happens. 
I think uh, my stepdaughters right now are really bewildered because for some very odd reason, my mom's acted all, she's one of those Americans who's been all nostalgic over like the death of the queen's husband or whatever. And, really? And like, I'm just so openly like down on monarchy and royal royalty and aristocracy and stuff. And so I'm just like, that's trash. And I think they're just really confused because they're like, Grandma Susie seems really interested in this funeral and really touched by it. And Ellie's saying they're all bad people. <laughs> like, <I> mean, <laughs> it's really weird for them. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, um, I was going to tune in. I, I haven't seen any pictures, but I wanted to see this hearse that he apparently designed himself. Because that's something that's, I'm pretty excited about these hearse designs. A 99-year-old man designed his own hearse. That's also the queen's special friend. This is going to be, it has to be amazing. Did you see the, were there any pictures of the hearse? Uh, I don't know. But see, for me, I don't want to see some <laughs> United Kingdom monarch adjacent guy's hearse. I want to see some like really fabulous guy from louisiana i want to see his first <laughs> or you know like i want i want populist but fabulous uh performative <laughs> art like, i just fuck the monarchy you know like or and all their adjacent people i i am very interested in pageantry and expression but i just want it to be like sort of ordinary people we're celebrating not people who are unbelievably privileged like just like uh we you know we got people eating out of dumpsters but then here's this guy over here you know it, i just i can't <laughs> I, I just can't accept it i hear you we should all be designing our own hearse dang it our designing our own funerals hey dustin what's hello up? oh just not too much talking about the monarchy oh which monarchy the only one the english oh. one the one oh. we re revolted the one, against the one that we don't have to care about but we do we still do we no. st still reported upon well i think we're ready to get started folks welcome everyone to the no name podcast my name is ryan warner joined as always by Dustin Gavrilo and Dr. Ellie Shockley and special guest Norton. Hey, Norton, how are you doing today? I see you're there, but I can't hear you. You're muted. You're giving me the thumbs up. I like it. Emojis don't play so well on the podcast, but I can translate for the, for the audience. Norton's giving us the thumbs up to continue. Well, welcome everyone. Let's um, move right into our, our check-in point of the podcast. How's everyone's week's been going? I can jump in. Um, it's uh, just heartbreaking that our legislature is running amok the way they are. I uh, actually... Um, I'm looking at a way to get out of North Dakota this week just because of watching Ten Commandments and masking and every other freaking thing they can throw out there to make sure that they show how radical they are. It's just uh, really disgusting. And the fact that they 
ram through this Ten Commandment thing with no hardly any. I don't know. It's just it's pretty disgusting. They they don't have any concept for governing the entire state. They only care about a certain segment of the state, and for whatever reason, that certain segment uh, will vote them in every single time. So, don't get it. Yeah, well, it could be worse, Norton. <laughs> uh, I was just looking uh, before we got on to the podcast today. I, I was I briefly peeked at news. I, t- I try to avoid all news in the weekends, but I did peek right before the show. And I saw that Florida is passing a law that outlaws protesting. So we haven't done that yet, Norton. So we can still protest, I think. We're still able to protest. So even though I agree it's been a crazy session and they're doing some awful stuff, we can still protest. And uh, there's a lot to protest about. It's been um, just an insane week with police shootings, mass shootings, all kinds of people getting shot here or there. Um, I, we still haven't decided what to do with gun control and mass violence and police brutality and Texas police murder. Texas has decided now that they want people to um, have guns without any kind of permit. They're just, uh, if you can get them, you can carry them, you can use them, you can Texas has become uh, wild west again. So I guess that's the way it is. Well, you know, um, I've never owned a gun and I don't even remember the last time I shot one. It's been quite a while and they don't make me feel safe when I have them around for sure. Um, When other people have them around, that is. But um, I know that if if the police can just indiscriminately and accidentally shoot you, I, I guess I understand where people are coming with with wanting to be armed because the police are out of control with the way that as long as your wife accident. it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, we yeah, I mean that's the, that's also part of it, but um, yeah, I think we need to, the gun control um, situation starts with controlling the police from killing people. And, and it's uh, definitely racialized, but a lot of mentally ill white people get. Yeah, the, exactly. Uh, <laughs> they do. Uh, a lot of people, nobody should be getting shot with the cops. Um, we got to disarm the cops. And uh, and then um, and then maybe we talk about disarming the rest of the populace. But it starts with the cops because there's a real fear and, and it's justified that you're going to get shot for no reason. And it's not cool. Uh, so I, I think that's where the gun control debate and the defund the police debate kind of come together. We got to disarm the police and talk about a, a way to use the force of the state in a way that doesn't kill people indiscriminately um, or discriminately, just doesn't kill people. And, uh, and then we can start talking about, well, you know, how do we take some guns away from other people that are also killing too many people? It's just been a crazy week and I don't have any answers, but I think that's where it starts. Uh, and, and we're likely to see another week of protests and hopefully everyone can stay safe and uh, the cops can control themselves and people can control themselves. And, um, We'll see what happens in Minneapolis with the the, the verdict that's um, they're going to start deliberating, I believe, this week, and so that'll be another flashpoint potentially. And uh, just yeah, hope everyone can keep their heads out there. And uh, we, but we at the same time we need to have politicians that can stand up and just say, hey, the police don't need to carry the guns in a traffic stop situation. You know, maybe keep them in the car, keep them at the station. 
have them available if you need them, but don't carry them with you. If you can't decide what is a taser and what is a, a gun, if you can't make that call anymore, just take them away. With Nor- that, uh, oh, go in ahead, Nor- Norton. In, in Norway, they have to actually unlock the unlock their gun when they are doing anything. They have to actually go back to their uh, trunk or wherever it is and unlock it and then take it out. So they have to go through a lot of conscious movement. And here in America, it's just a matter of uh, flipping it out of your whatever holster you're wearing. So it is so easy to go to, you know, to death from just talking to somebody about a, you know, overdue parking ticket. ticket. So it, it is uh, incredibly weird, but it's, Every time you talk about defunding the police, like I read a study recently that shows that a lot of the Republican houses that flipped in uh, 2020 really was a result of talking about defunding the police. It, It created a real battle cry for Republicans to go to their state legislators and they, a lot of them got elected just based on, we can't have those Democrats them defunding the police. So it is a, a real shitstorm because it doesn't, uh, every time you talk about it in any kind of rational terms, it, it gets crazy on the right wing side of things. And they use it as a wedge issue to basically make sure that Democrats don't get elected. So certainly, yeah, no, it's a great example of a uh, a slogan that didn't do what they thought it was going to do. Um, there have been good some good slogans, uh, and, and that one just uh, it confuses the issue and it kind of is counterproductive. So it was um, that's why I'm saying disarm the police. It's very simple: take their guns away. They can still do what they want. They can bring bring the tasers, bring the billy clubs, but don't bring the guns. And uh, and that's where we start the conversation is just we disarm the police. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been used as a wedge, wedge issue. And a lot of these issues, um, I was thinking about this too, based on last week's call where we talked about the anti-trans legislation efforts here in North Dakota and abroad. It's, um, you know, it's active whether I guess maybe Ellie, you have some clinical um, or, or some research-based data to share with us on this front, but it seems like the authoritarian impulse is is a sexual repression impulse. At the same time, they they want to repress the things that they're afraid of, and it pushes them into this authoritarian mindset where the police are gods. And uh, we can't have any deviant sexual behavior based uh, beyond the heteronormative um, things that we've grown up with and are in the Bible. And uh, and it seems like the authoritarian impulse and the, and the rep- sexual repressive impulse kind of come together in a weird, weird way sometimes uh, in these um, in these uh, public debates. Can I, can I ask Dustin a question about? Uh, um, it seems to me that the 2020 election for all these houses, the state houses and the representatives that went to Congress were all based on cultural issues. None of it was on policy issues. It was all on cultural issues. It was immigration, 
it was guns and it was defunding the police. And that's what uh, really turned off. Uh, it flipped New Hampshire as an example from being a fairly um, blue state. I, I hate using that term because it's a shitty term, but it turned them from being a kind of a mediocre Republican Democrat uh, state into a fully full on red state. And it's all because of these cultural issues. So I, I don't see where Republicans at any point now in their life are looking at real issues. They're only looking at cultural issues to get elected and reelected. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. The, the culture warriors, as they call themselves, are the, uh, the flip side to the social justice warriors. And, uh, you know, that they, they take the, these cultural things and, and use the power of the state to, uh, enforce them. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that has been the case. There was, you know, there was a solid six years where the economics took the lead, but, um, that, that ship sailed now and, and don't bother talking about economics. And because <laughs> now here in North Dakota, you know, the example is we've got Republicans pushing for bailouts for the companies and industries that they like. Um, so the, the conservative uh, fiscal policies are uh, back in the closet and uh, don't even bring those up if you're not willing to be a loud mouth on all these cultural issues. It's sad. It's really, it's tragic. It's tragic for the Republican. It's tragic for the Republican Party, but in a way it's not tragic for the Republican Party because they're going to win based on cultural issues. Because people don't think in terms of real policy anymore. They're, it's all shock. It's all shock reaction to this or that or the other thing. And, and it, it, we as a country are just being run by that. I mean, this complete sellout to the religious right on this Ten Commandment thing and on um, the trans thing and on all these other issues that North Dakota is, is basically going down this, I think, deep, dark, awful path. It's just going to get worse. Yeah, it's certainly not going to get better anytime soon, that's for sure. Yeah, we're not, the pendulum's not swinging in the other direction. That's not what the momentum is right now. I agree with that. I think, I mean, Ryan, you are onto something, but it's just not very simple. Like, it's like the, the pathway between like sexual repression and political attitudes is different for different people. There are different motivations at work. And that's why it's kind of convenient. It's like there's a convenient coalition of unaddressed emotional issues and different people are attracted to oppressive ideologies by different pathways. I mean, some people um, are themselves queer in one capacity or another but they have uh, gained um, inclusion in their social lives by playing the part of somebody normative. And it's very, very, all of it's just very threatening. Everything they could lose if they ever really grappled with that side of themselves. And um, that pain can definitely result in politics that control mm -hmm. women or queer, or queer people. 
Um, there's other people who have invest, you know, are themselves um, not struggling with any personal sexual or um, gender orientation or anything like that. But the gender binary is something they're very emotionally invested in and is really important to uh, their social relationships and their social success. And so there's, you know, women who their entire, the entire source of any power that they have is through playing the role of, you know, the, the normative role of woman um, and all, like more traditional avenues of power aren't available to them, but by embracing the woman role, they have a certain domain of power and they won't let anyone pry that out of, I mean, they'll, they'll require you to pry it out of their dead hands. <laughs> and I, so I think that there's just a lot of different motivations going on. There's people who were beat by their parents. And so they hate sissies because they had to kill the sissy in themselves as they endured the abuse and that, and now they're, they hate PC culture. You know, people are traumatized by a toxic culture and there's just so many different ways you can get your tendrils into you. And then there's this neat and tidy ideology out there, although it wasn't so neat and tidy, it's been made that way over time as, um, aspiring autocrats take advantage of the culture war, I guess, and sort of engineer a kind of conformity and that like, okay, here's where we stand on political correctness. You know, here's where we stand all black lives matter, you know, like just sort of linking up the belief system so that people can kind of all jump on board together. But there's something to that stuff. But I think it's like humans are really, really, really predictably defensive when their needs aren't being met. And they don't have a really good outlet for dealing with those needs. But there's so many different ways that it can manifest. There's a different journey in everyone. And yeah, a lot of Americans really need some effective therapy. But like, we don't have a really good, like our clinic, like our clinical framework isn't really that great for people. So, um, I mean, if you're anything other than like white, a white professional class person, it's not really built for you. So we, a lot of people are let down and it shows up in ugly belief systems on certain social movements. And yeah, that's what I'll say about that. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thanks, Ellie. Um, I see Richard's joined us. Hey, Richard. <clears throat> Greetings. Glad to be here. Thank you. We're, we're just in the check, check-in period of this call, of this podcast. How's your week been? Um, well, it, it's been quite interesting. Um, I, you know, I continue to, I continue to under, you know, not understand why people can't see the diversity um, that exists within the human body and within the human nature. And um, this is not something that we have experienced like recently. This has been something that's millennia since the beginning of, you know, procreation and, and human. Um, so, yeah, so from that perspective on um, 1298, um, I, I'm frustrated with that. I, I'm glad that we have advanced um, Ruth Buffalo's bill to include um, proper education and honest education into our education. Uh, system. I think that I, I, I haven't looked at the bill yet, but I think that they will be mandated to work with the Department of Public Institution or Public Instruction to make sure that's rolled out. 
Um, I, I also would like to um, uh, make sure that we're rolling out, um, you know, I, I'm going to go back to no less than the, you know, I, I know that like a lot of organizations focus on prevention and, um, you know, intervention for sexual violence, but we need to keep a focus on proper sexual education. So I'm going to keep focusing on that. And um, that, so, so that's one thing that I, I, I'm working on the task force with, with and, and, and so that's a different kind of deal. But overall, um, I think that it, it's been kind of a scary session, right? It's been kind of like weird. And I don't come out of, I don't come out of some of this stuff as Dustin does with the, the, the energy. So, you know, I, I welcome that and I've been watching all that and that's been really, really good. So um, thank you, Justin, for all that you've been doing there and Ellie for the articles that you've been writing. You know, you guys are doing such an awesome job of paying attention and writing and speaking and, and doing everything that you can to all of these facilities that we have going on. And I just, I can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. I am so awed by you. And I wish I was as smart as you all <laughs> because you were so incredible and you were so smart and you were just so tied into those areas that need to be tied into. And I am just so grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Beyond wildest measure. Thank you, Richard. And um, uh, Dustin and Ellie are very smart. But I, I think what we want to do at Civic Cooperators is let everyone know that even if you're not as smart as Dustin or Ellie, you still have a role, a role to play, a part to play. And it's really, it takes all of us to, to participate in the system for the system to function properly. So um, even though we can be in awe of certain people as they function within the system, uh, I think we also have to remember that everyone's input, however small or however minuscule it might be, is important because that is the the... The sum of the whole is is how we get to where we want to go, and we all have to participate to get there. So, um, thank you, uh, Richard. I, I want to. That's kind of a good segue into what we want to talk about for the rest of this call. Is you know, God willing, here we'll continue to vaccinate and uh, and get uh, our transmission rates down for COVID, and we'll start to have some opportunities for in person meetings. And I want to just open it up a general open discussion about what this group can do to facilitate that. Um, I, I heard some interesting uh, ideas but from Dustin and Ellie uh, kind of off, off, uh, offline uh, via text message uh, about what, what it could potentially look like for in-person meetings. And uh, I just want to open it up to the, the group in general. Um, I think it's, we're, we're, we're past the, the COVID times, I think knock on wood. And now we need to think about um, how we want to start meeting in person, whether there's an event um, or a weekly meeting or, or what have you. So with that, I'm just going to open it up. Um, how can we start seeing people in person and getting back to the face-to-face -face conversations? The outdoors. <laughs> like yes. that's totally key. And I feel like that's like 90% of it. <laughs> Yesterday would have been great. Today would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> this bipolar weather is is an issue. Yeah. yeah so that pretty. 
you, you yeah. never know when you're past that phase of spring, you know, and, and at some point you realize, oh, we're in the semi-stable part of summer. Okay. But like, you have to be in it a while before you know you're in it and then you've lost time. So yeah. You're never safe till July. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I mean I, I've, I've, I've seen snow June 6th in yep. Dickinson one year, then, I think it was 2011 only safe in july it's like you're not safe until july and you're only safe in july august is usually pretty good too uh and that but come the end of september it can can start yep it it gets rainy sometimes and yeah yeah i've had events in june where we were expecting some very nice weather and it was just like you know 55 and cloudy (laughs) so uh yeah i mean i think outside is great um i I guess for a point of clarity, Dustin, do you think we can still meet at your office in that kind of the holding room there? Oh yeah, yeah. That's if, that's if we wanted to. Open. And I don't know what everyone's comfort level is or their vaccination um, status is, but um, I would be comfortable meeting in person um, once I'm fully vaccinated, which will be uh, this. Well, I, I've been fully vaccinated like twice now, and the second shot sucked. The majority. Yeah. I mean, it, it did bring on some like kind of like some sucky consequences but i got through it and um and now i'm you know back in the houses and you know i you don't know this about me but one of the things that i do is i um i mentor and development workforce for the individuals who support people with disability in their homes um so active supports um so it's been good to be able to get back to that and actually, and we have a very diverse, um, most of the individuals that we, um, you know, that, that are providing that service as direct support professionals are from East and West Africa. Um, they are, you know, refugees or, you know, new Americans or whatever title you want to give them. But we have a very diverse workforce. And I, I am so thankful to be back to being able to call and be in the homes and actually talk to people and talk to staff and and be staff centric. I mean, we want to be person centric as, as far as um, supporting the people um, that we 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 support, but we also want to be staff centric, right? So it's been very important to get back into the home. So I'm very I'm very thankful for that that we are at a place where we can be like. Um, vaccinated and doing that. I don't know if it's going to take boosters or what that's going to take, but we'll see go forward, right? So um, I'm just overjoyed to 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 really be. And uh, you know, on the other side, then is the whole legislative session. So you know, oftentimes we have our work, we have the work that we do every day, and the work that we're our, our bread and butter jobs, and then we have the other work that we're doing which can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming and exhausting, right? For sure. Well, I, um, um, go I ahead, was going to say that um, my max uh, immunity will kick in soon. And I, so, and I'm going to be pretty comfortable doing a lot uh, of things. Like as a very statsy person, I am aware of how well protected I really am. And so I'm not too scared to, so I will go indoors myself. I, the reason I suggested outdoors is there's a lot of people who still feel really that they're just still really scared. And so it's kind of like, 
a sort of safer space. But yeah, I'm totally up for indoor stuff personally. Yeah, I think a, a mixture of, of both would be wise for the summer, at least, and see as, as people's comfort levels increase. And then there's a the question of what exactly this, the nature of the event or meeting would be. Um, Ellie, you had some ideas about kind of uh, a civic cooperator for the ladies, <laughs> uh, but, but for creating safe spaces for different kind of groups to get together and, and talk amongst themselves versus kind of an open open call that we've been doing so far. Um, I like those ideas. We, we were talking actually at the beginning, very beginning of this meeting about um, something for children that, that are not of, of voting age um, and not just like a civics education class, but a kind of what I would imagine in that would just be a way to bring kids together, um, hear from them on various um, cultural, social issues just, you know, um, kind of a listening session and then um, a little mentoring on how to come to a group consensus, group consensus. So how do you, how do you get everyone to agree? And so consensus is not necessarily agreement. It's kind of, um, is everyone here not actively against this idea? And can we get to, can we create a solution where no one's actively against this solution? And if we can, then that's consensus. And that's a powerful experience. Uh, you know, children do this all the time by themselves, actually. <laughs> we probably could learn a lot from children, just the way they yeah, play on play playgrounds. We could learn a lot from children. But um, it would be more into this idea of this ab abstraction of um, right and wrong, mor moral decisions, um, ways to order society. Um, I, I like those ideas. Ellie, I don't know uh, exactly what you um, had in mind with that, but would you care to expand further on that idea um, just as a way to get um, get more folks to participate uh, according to what their comfort level and and um, interest level would be yeah um i've had a lot of different ideas for a long time some of them are old you know we've been at this for a while and a panda pandemic interrupted our intentions um, so <laughs> i basically nothing we talked about ever died in my mind it just got <laughs> uh, took a nap. Um, and, and so, and then there's the ideas I've had of my own for some time that also got disrupted by the pandemic. Um, so I've just, I, so I think that there's a lot you guys are already on a similar page with, um, just civic minded and community, community minded activities and, um, some that could be kind of really central projects of ours, like the, the uh, state constitutional oriented work, for example, or uh, developing like a state government budget type of workshop and like that stuff. I, I personally think of them as sort of core, like part of the core theme, but then I see a lot of potential for sort of offshoot activities that like, that's why when I you know mentioned something that's women's, women's focused, it just means that like, you guys don't even have to, as long as you guys don't have a problem with me doing that, or you, or I, I show you how I'm approaching it, and you guys are like, I see no problem here, then you don't even have to be involved or worried about it, you know, because not everything is for everyone. Um, and some people, they need to be met at a, where they're at, and they might be a very different place than some other people. And so it's kind of a matter of let's go meet these people where they're at, and these people where they're at, and then like, will they then be ready for like, I think for some people to get them to be, participate in stuff with us, to make it to a, like a mock constitutional convention or something, they need to do something softer with us first. 
And so for me, I kind of think about that and just building relationships between people and depolarizing people. And it's not just about depolarizing Democrats and Republicans, but the uneasy alliance between um, diverse points of view within party leanings. So there is a lot of conflict between um, people on the left and people in the center, including among women. Um, and I just think there's a lot of work to be done there. So I think about things that are sort of a day workshop. I think about things that are an overnight retreat at a state park or something. There's just a lot of different formats things could take. And I think that the format should be really well tailored to the activity and the attendees um, that the, you know, who are the focus of the activity. So it's really, it's really like a very open-ended possibility of a lot of things. And, and I, I would really see it the way that you described Ryan and a way that I think, you know, we described some of the anti-measure two efforts. It was like, nobody felt entitled to veto other people's efforts. I mean, the only time that maybe that even came close is Dustin told me no memes, <laughs> only infographics or something, you know, and like, I was like, fine, you know, that's not how I'm going to die on. So, um, you know, it's like, I like that, that as long as nobody has any beef with an approach and if you do, let's talk about it, but like, just, we can let each other collaborate or sometimes do side projects that are compatible with the mission. And we don't have to figure it all out at the same time. It can be sort of a open-ended approach to these things. So hopefully that's not too vague. Hopefully it helps. It's not some meat on the bones. And Ellie, Ellie, I would ask you. Um, <clears throat> I have a I have an express need beyond your wildest beliefs. Um. I don't know if you're I don't know if you're familiar with the North Dakota Human Rights Coalition, DEI, Children's Cooperative, <clears throat> Story Cooperative. And so that that cooperative is a, a cooperative of children's stories that are read on a Saturday. Um, this next Saturday we have uh, from 10 to 11. Um, our next um, session uh, planned and there are already 20 families signed up so I have to send out all the books so what happens is this is that I set out the date I set out the event on Facebook um, and then I will send the families all a copy a hard copy of the book and then we need a reader right and my reader has kind of fallen through. Um, All are welcome. It's a beautiful illustrated book. The last one that we had done was the uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, it, a, a beautiful judge from the Standing Rock Reservation had read that book. And it was kind of funny because Rebecca Thunder, our, our, our Commissioner Thunder um, from um, you know, from she she was not from Standing Rock, so she's like, this is not a story I can really read. This needs to be another story. So we we went down all those roads and we made sure that for Indigenous Peoples Day we did that. But I there is need for a reader for all are welcome. Um, I would. Is it over Zoom or something? 
or Facebook Live or something? Is it's it over Zoom? Zoom? It's a Zoom platform. Yes, it's okay. a Zoom platform. And what so, happens is, is what happens is, is that the first twenty families or 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 learning pods that sign up, I actually send them out a book, a hard copy. Um, uh, the 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 grant that provided that is in part from the Awesome Foundation and also um, the um, members of the NDHRC who contribute because it takes you know you know packages and time and money to send those out right and postage and yeah and we all get together on a Saturday uh, this next one is the twenty fourth. Um, and we get together on for an hour and we read the book and we talk about what it means to be an anti-racist or what it means to be, or how do we talk to our children in, in good spaces about the things that we see in regard to race in this age. So if that's something that enlightens you, I would really, really love for you to be part of that, Ellie. I would love for you to be a reader if you could do that. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm available. Like, I'm just generally not available on really short notice with a lot of things. So I don't know that I'm free next Saturday or that rather my Saturday is the only day I don't have activities already booked. That's fine. So yeah. it might not be the right um, timing for me. Uh, I wonder if Ryan would be up for it since it seems a little, I don't know, a little bit compatible. I would welcome, I would welcome a white male to read. If you would be a white male to read that, Ryan, that would be incredible. That's one of the few things I can be is a white male. Currently. currently. One of the things you can be, yeah. (laughs) Um, you're you're limited. (laughs) And what I would do is I would send you the book. I would send you the book. We've got hard copies for everyone. The first 20 families, I would send you the book and I would send you some coaching if you need to, but you already have children, Ryan. So you do not need much coaching on what it takes to read to children. And then we read the book together. And then as, um, at the end of the, 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 kind of a conversation we just talk to children parents guardians um or not children but parents guardians about what does it look like to talk to our children in this day and age when they hear about um you know george floyd and when they hear about these things how do we talk to them in age appropriate ways and and that kind of thing does that make sense ryan yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, I don't know if next Friday, next Saturday would work, but I, if you could send me some information, I could look at it and then I could figure out um, how I can participate. I'm assuming there's a there's a person that reads and then there's a, like a facilitator that kind of yeah, helps yeah. the conversation I, I will go facilitate, through. I will be the facilitator this time, but we also have a young woman who will read the story. And then, and then the next one is the 15th of uh, May. And that book is I Am Enough. So it, it, it's important to have a, a young a young black woman read that book. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I would be interested. And um, as a as a parent of, of, of a four and a seven-year-old now, my oldest just had her birthday. That is yeah, something. Do you know? Do you know? I will just put this out there. Do you know 
that children, by the time that they are the age of three, they already recognize how our bodies and how we respond to race and implicit race and 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 um, how we respond to other people. They get that. They understand that. Yeah, they, they pick they pick it up. Yeah, for yeah, sure. No, as a, as a parent of of uh, those aged children. Um, I've, I've had those conversations, you know, my, my seven-year-old will, will come out and ask me, why did the police shoot black people? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and then, <laughs> then you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then, how do you answer that question? You know, how do you, how do you as a white parent answer that question? And, and then as a white parent who has been living in a, uh, living in a community of, you know, pretty much colonization, of other people. I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to be rude, but you know that we live, you know, we have pretty much come here and we've taken it over. Right. right. So how do we, how do we deal with that? Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's, it would be great for my kids personally to, to participate. And um, I'd love to be able to help out where I can. So yeah, send me a link or uh, direct me to the place where I can get more information. Cause I think that's something my, my wife's organization also works on a lot. Um, so I think. She I know I'm seeking grants from her. Um, so <laughs> that'll, that'll be a different conversation. And it's not one to have here. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. From the North Dakota Human Rights Coalition. And, and I have some, you know, that's, an ongoing thing too so it is what it is yeah I, I just hope to advance the conversations further and but the thing that i understand first and foremost and one of the reasons that i love that um ruth buffalo's bill advanced is that we need good education for our children we need honest education for our children and when right. we bring that forward they will make good decisions go forward. They will, we can trust them to make good decisions go forward. So actually this helps me segue into a question I've been meaning to ask. Like, I was wondering if we could also create some kind of agreement of what it looks like to collaborate with other orgs or um, coalitions or whatever. So basically, like, let's say, Richard, you want to combine the spirit of our co-op here with the other things you're involved in, and there's actually a co-hosted, uh, or, or, you know, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, a co-hosted event for children or yeah. something. So, like, Ryan sort of, you know, and maybe Ryan takes the lead on this out of, you know, me and him and Dustin, and then you guys collaborate, and then both kind of entities kind of brand it or or are subtle about the brand if that's more important like i know sometimes you we don't really brand things very heavily on purpose but um you know it, and i'm wondering if there's occasions where i can sort of blend uh us with um an npl activity on occasion or even um, yes with jenna Absolutely. Yeah. Or like, and then also yeah. um, the Women's Network yeah. um, Bizman Women's area Network, chapter. Yep. 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 But like, keep it really, really relaxed. Like, not in a way that tells exactly. the org exactly. how to function. Common sense, just fun. 
yeah, just like overlap of goals. And, you know, I'd be interested in hearing what, or I mean, if you guys are interested in this, what other partnerships you imagine, but that then we can pursue the partnerships that just make sense. And like, basically, if we feel like any partnership is sketchy or something, we can say, hey, I'm a little concerned about this. But otherwise, you know, we sort of in that kind of anarchist way, just let people do their passion projects and only object when there's a really good reason to. So, you know, and, I, and what I, why I'm really interested in this is because this is just not available. That kind of relaxed permissiveness is like, I, I just don't encounter it a lot of other places. And there's just so many parameters and rules on everything. I, I know. And, and you know what? And Dustin too. Dustin, Dustin, yes, you have, yeah. you, 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 there, there are, there are young people that are like in middle school. Like I've talked to like young people in middle school and high school that want to fully more understand kind of like where your you know, where the values lie and where those things can go. Um, you know, so I, I know that you, I know, Dustin, that you were so focused on the adults, right, in legislature. I get that. I, I, I understand that. But I, I, I also would challenge you, Dustin, to understand that there are, there are youth in, in the state who, like, they want to better understand how we operate, how things go. You are a fabulous fucking market of 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 like knowledge and internship or, or knowledge and and like guidance and how can how can you um, look at how can we look at ways that you can transfer that 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 knowledge not an ideology I'm not going to go with an ideology because you know why. I think that everyone should establish their own ideology. But how do you establish that and transfer that knowledge and that understanding to other young people in the state? Do you see what I'm saying there? I mean, there, there, there have been initiatives from this state to bring into the school districts, you know, oil and that kind of thing. And now we're looking at, thankfully, you know, like real... Um, history of in, indigenous people, but how do you, Justin, how do you, you know, bring that forward into the next generation? I don't know if you think about that, but I would challenge you to think about that. Well, well, you realize that the first two or three years in the business, I, I basically did campus organizing work at, at the college level, first with the college Republicans and then yes. the leadership institute, yes. trying to get yes. conservative Absolutely. libertarian types involved um you know the, i think the unifying thing here when you're talking about all this stuff is you know the old saying a government big enough to give you everything you need is big enough to take everything away including your life i think that's in one sentence the unifying theory of of all these different groups on the political spectrum is that you know, you may think that you, you, you know, it, the, the bigger you make the government to do what you want it to do, the bigger you're making it to do what you don't want it to do. And so you've got to realize that if you're, if you're giving them the power to do X, Y, and Z, you're going to have to live with A, B, and C as well. Right. Well, Dustin, are you able to kind of leverage your relationships with like the college Republicans of today, which I know you. No, I don't know any of them. 
Okay. And, and, and from what I understand, uh, that there's a lot of, it's a lot different now. You know, when I was involved, the CR groups were very small and they were not, um, there wasn't a lot of infighting, but uh, for, I've been told that at least at NDSU and UND, there's a lot of infighting now. There's these factions, there's a, the alt-right faction versus the party line uh, factions. Uh, well, but like, can you? Yeah. You can you remind me though who was it that you communicated with or what org or leadership from which org that you communicated with during the election about measure two? Um, at the college level. Yeah. I don't remember that I did even. Oh well, what I I remember what, what didn't they also. Um, not make a decision on who to endorse for superintendent of public instruction. Oh yeah. That was the college Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is I, I hear what, I hear what you're saying about all that stuff, but like clearly there is a little bit of a relationship there. And like, I wonder if there's anything you can do to make the disagreements more productive, like to, I, and I don't, maybe this would fall flat, you know, not everyone's as nerdy as me. So they don't always like my ideas, but if there was like a workshop on like, what is conservatives conservatism? And then the bylines, like who's asking and who's telling or, you know, and then sort of examining the, 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 the modes of thought and then the, you know, the, the, the disagreements and sort of like giving people some, framework for their disagreements and one that kind of holds space to like understand them before immediately rejecting them and fighting like there might be something there worth trying uh maybe i don't i i, I mean it, as far as my i don't have any contacts with that with that scene anymore um the, I mean, I, I, I pretty much lost touch with those folks uh, that are involved at that level about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, so like, you know, it's funny you bring up this. I, I, I've actually been working on, I've got a, it's almost a 2000 word essay already about, uh, and the title of it is why the Republican party will never be what you, you want it to be. <laughs> why well, we, repeat that please why the, why the republican party will never be what you want it to be and that the target audience is the disgruntled conservative crowd and it, it the, the basis of it is, is that, that is that focused can i ask you justin is that is that is that something that's kind of like focused on the republican party of north dakota or is that or, or is that broader to the republican party nationally more broad nationally. I, I, I bring in both, both of, uh, uh, the, uh, both of the levels. Uh, but the, the thesis of it is that depending on when you got involved, depends on what your definition of conservative is. And well, I wish I Rick were here right and now. I, and I outlined four different periods since 2000, four different waves. And that's how, um, it it uh, uh, that, that's how I broke it down. It I, I'm I've I'll probably uh, send it around here this week to see what people think. But uh, you know, trying to you know get into those crowds, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the necessarily have the time to uh, really 
push back into those uh, those scenes at the campus level. And so I don't know. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something that's been really wonderful this week. I I I am overjoyed, right? Um, I will I will not like I I will not kowtow. There 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 was a time two years ago. I I am no one. I am no one. I am nothing but a common citizen, right? I am nothing but a common citizen. And um, as a board member of the NDHRC, I had called. A couple of representative or, or a couple of MPL or, or um, Republican uh, representatives into senators, actually both senators, into conversation because my goal, my goal, not not my goal, my my understanding and my identity as a leader and my the need has been to understand how does the North Dakota um, Human Rights Coalition identify and how do they present themselves? And how is that, you know, how is that focused? And I had pulled two um, individuals, both Senator Judy Lee and Senator Christian Roars into conversation. And part of Christian Roars was because I was at a, a, a function with her where she made a really rude comment beyond your wildest beliefs. She had made a rude comment about her fellow um, colleagues. And I called her in to comment on that. I'm like, I want to talk to you about this. So we met at like Panera Bread and, and you know, we, we talked about two years ago. But now, two years later, that woman, she like did a really courageous thing on the state floor, on the, on the Senate floor. And then I sent a, a, a comment back to her. So I, one of the things, I, I guess my premise is this, that, you know, Justin, you engage, you engage legislators every day, don't you? You're like yeah. talking to them. You're like contacting them. They have contact with you. They're asking you to... To, to, you know, like, you know, be there and speak. Is that right? Well, I, I don't know what you... I mean, they're asking you to be, like, in in the committee meetings and talk. No, and, and... no, they would prefer I not show up. <laughs> they would prefer you not show up. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, if we can get back to the kind of prompt at hand for a moment, I, I wanted to actually... Uh, um, say thanks Dustin for basically saying you didn't have the bandwidth for this random project of reaching out to college Republicans. I like really appreciate and respect when someone says that because then then it's like cool. We should always do that. We should I think we should always be really frank with each other about our respective bandwidths. And when a particular project is just not does not fit into the landscape of our hours, cool. And now I know I'm really interested in that. Maybe I'll pursue it and I would just ask you for some feedback or something. So for example, sure. the College Republicans of Dickinson State, I think that they would be really into some activities. Um, and I have long thought about reaching out to them to do more things. Um, they hosted a debate that I participated in a while back. It was really cool. Um, they're just really open 
and really interested in dialogue and they're disappointed by polarization of like all kinds. So I think that's a really just, a, and I know that it's kind of held together by the people who stick around. I know a lot of college students come and go. So it, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a whole bunch of people, but it's still cool. And it's still happening in Western North Dakota. And I love it. So anyways, uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll take one of those ideas I've had for a while, reach out, finally actually reach out to them and say, hey, want to do something? And then you can tell me if it's a bad idea or if I'm, if I'm going down the right path. And I think I would just like to always be really frank about our bandwidth for stuff like that. And then that will keep us from feeling like burnt out or like there's, well, we might find, we might be burnt out for other reasons. But that will prevent us from burning each other out or sort of annoying the crap out of each other. So I think that's good. And yeah, I'm just saying I've got ideas. I want to run with them. Nobody is pressured to make time for them if they don't have it. Um, let me know if I'm doing something that you think is just destructive in some way for our goals. <laughs> um, but if you're just like, I don't really care, but I don't really mind. So good luck. Then I totally appreciate that, too. Yeah, that's a great call out, um, Ellie. And I would say uh, I, I share your um, interest in the uh, in in engaging college age individuals uh, on political things. Well, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if I have bandwidth, but it seems like historically there's been a lot of energy around college activism and political engagement. And in those, you know, you have time at that point of your life to to do stuff like that. So they're and they're a captive audience to to a degree. I'm looking for things to do. So if you could come up with programming that would um, capture the, the the zeitgeist of the moment and um, and give them something to do and maybe educate them or motivate them uh, to to follow their own passion, I think that makes a lot of sense. And we have a lot of colleges uh, really good colleges around North Dakota. So I think like whether it's a lecture tour or some kind of event around the, the state at the colleges, that sounds kind of cool. Uh, interesting. I don't know what it looks like and I don't know if I have the bandwidth, but I, I do think that's a, a valid idea to pursue. And um, I wish I knew more college age kids. I guess I don't know very many. I'm like Dustin. I've pretty checked out uh, the scene at UND. Um, I try to respond to my, or try to email my old professor, but he doesn't e email me back very often. And I don't email him back very often either. So it's just one of those things, but I do think it's a great idea. Um, I want to, uh, we're at three o'clock right now. I want to uh, transition here into checkout thoughts, but I wanted to give, uh, before I do that, <laughs> I wanted to give a little weight to, to an idea of that Dustin had talked about via text, which was kind of, a a drinking club for political speaking, uh, political discussions. So, um, I don't drink and I really don't like drinking, but I do come from a family of people that do like to drink. So I've been a lot of people that have been drinking a lot. And what I find is that certain people are never going to talk about politics or really talk about anything unless they had a couple of drinks. And then you can start to engage them and they're, 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 um, some of their defenses come down and you can actually have a conversation and they open up. And so I think uh, in this line of how do we meet people where they're at, I think some sort of drinking club, maybe for other people, it'd be a coffee club, um, but a way to, to meet them where they're at. I think uh, in w whether that's a spinoff of the civic cooperators or, you know, whether that happens at night um, somewhere at a drinking establishment, who knows what it looks like. But I, I do think, again, if we want to meet people where they're at, that's one way to do it. And that's a, a very common way um, that people, especially men uh, are able to, to lower some of their defenses and, and speak about these things. Yeah, I like, I'm open yeah, it, to the idea. You know, I, I don't drink nearly as much as I used to. And, and now we get a phone call here. Uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, the idea is, I mean, that, that's typically how political people meet up. 
I mean, political people on average drink more than the average North Dakotan and the average North Dakotan drinks more than the average American. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of, I mean, you, the, the chamber, you get 20 people to a business meeting and 200 people to a mixer. It's just the way the right. world works. Uh, so, you know, whatever you guys want to do, I think my point was more so, you know, getting people into a room together and talking because I, I think that, uh, you know, based on a call that I had three days ago with a lobbyist who was very upset with me, a two-hour call, and I won't name names, um, the lack of in-person interaction, uh, I believe, is actually magnifying the uh, social media problem wow. and uh, not making things any better. Right. Makes sense. Well, with that, I think it's a good um, time to transition into checkout. I want to thank everyone here for joining us. Um, and, and so the checkout thoughts, um, I think just a way to wrap up um, either something you get a chance to say earlier or something that came up in this um, in this last week that you were thinking about. For me, I'll keep it uh, very personal. Uh, my, my, my oldest turned seven last week and uh, she wanted a hamster. So we got a hamster and she named it. And I've never had a hamster before. But I do, I do like animals. Uh, so she and she, we got it on Friday, and its name is Applesauce. And we brought it home, and we got this really sweet cage for it. And uh, it was in the cage for about 20 minutes, and then she wanted to see if she could pet it. And uh, she opened the door, and this thing just sprang right out. And, it, and it's like a dwarf. It's a dwarf hamster. It's basically a, a, a very furry mouse. And uh, this thing was gone. Like Syri a Syrian Hamster? Yeah, it's a, it's oh my a gosh. Robovsky or it's it's like a Syrian. They're, I have, they're, I have a ahead. silly story where I found someone's pet <laughs> hamster of that kind. Yeah. Yeah, they're tiny uh, and, and they're fast. And this thing was just zipped out and jumped off the thing and was under the bed. And uh, it was a very stressful 10 minutes, but we got it. We corralled it back and uh, got it back in the cage somehow. Uh, and now we know what we're doing, I think, when we try to pet it. But um, now that it's tasted freedom, it'll never go back. It's it's this we've ruined this hamster forever because now it just it's like I want to every time the, there's a chance of the door opening, the thing just wakes up and gets all freaked out and is ready to you know is ready to get out. So I don't know if uh, if there's any lesson to that, but once you taste freedom, you really like freedom. I think this is the general mammalian response to freedom. You and need a that, hamster. You need a hamster whisperer. <laughs> he's yes. got a fascist government keeping the hamster <laughs> he does. A concentration we're, we're, camp instead hey we know what's what's better for this what's best for this hamster applesauce applesauce if you get a young. second one you're gonna have to get name it pork chop so that it's a old brady bunch <laughs> joke I'll, I'll i'll mention that my 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 four-year-olds uh ever since the hamster came home she's got on the fish kick she thinks she needs a fish now but she's only four and she doesn't know what she's doing. We have to make her earn it. We are, we're a little fat. We're a little authoritarian here at my house. <laughs> I, I, I want to um, uh, say that I, that I do think that what you guys are talking about, it would be the only way you're going to get more people together to actively open up is in a more of a social fun type gathering. And um, that would, like uh, Dustin said, that would involve, you know, 
beverages um, and uh, have people just like they used to have, which I really enjoyed, and I don't know if they did it anymore, but they used to have at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, a atheist get together. So it was 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings because that's when church usually starts. And then we'd all sit around and they had 20 or 30 people engaged in that. And because it was games and, you know, beverages. So if we want to get more people engaged, I think that's what we have to do. Norton, I have a question. What's the point of being an atheist if you still got to wake up early on Sunday? That was my question. <laughs> <laughs> you got a good point, Dustin. <laughs> and that's why I stopped. It sounds like church with more steps. Yeah, yeah, that's why I stopped going. Some people, some people like the structure. They just don't like the theology. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just don't go to church. So. I... Yeah, well, you shouldn't go to church. Hey, I don't Whoa. know. We want to go. I don't know. We want to go Whoa. there. Whoa. <laughs> as long as I got a Ten Commandments uh, statue in my backyard, I'm cool. It's the I'll, law. I'll follow all those moral judgments every day when I look at that. Those arguments for that stupid Ten Commandment thing are beyond. I, I don't. I can't even believe it. Look at it this way. If we replace the entire criminal code with the Ten Commandments, there's, there'd be a lot less reasons for cops to shoot people. You're right. <laughs> I think that, you know, that would be an interesting thing to get into sometime, <laughs> to actually deconstruct the arguments, because I'm not so convinced it's so simple. And I think that what gets tricky is, is the state allowed to tell a teacher whether or not they can have anything personal and religious in their workspace? And it's, it is a slippery slope of a question. And like, I know where I stand on the issue. I'm not keen on the Ten Commandments being in schools, but I do understand it's not a completely absurd debate. And the reason I see some validity in it is that the French use this related logic to basically force Muslim women to not wear hijab. And it's really problematic. And like, if you were wearing a necklace with the star of David on it in, in a public space in France, you might get shit for it. And so it, it is complicated and it would be really interesting to deconstruct the arguments in good faith and ignore the stupid arguments. Obviously some of them are just stupid, but like actually examine and like really think about the example of the logic going too far, like in France where it's weaponized against the religious minority. It's just something to think about and not something that I am so quick to consider like indicative of inherent evil but rather that morality is really complex. well you know if they put up a das kapital uh something in a you know on the blackboard in in a school as kids come into school there would be a certain level of uh rejection to that even though that teacher might say that uh, communism is the appropriate way of teaching kids so i I, I I just find this whole argument, this whole religious bullshit, bullshits. So, but that's me, I guess. It's like the the, the debate they had a couple of sessions ago about religious 
uh, teaching. And it's like, you can, you can definitely teach the history of religions without being religious. And, right. and, and we should be teaching the history of religions, but we shouldn't be teaching the beliefs of religions in school. Because, you know, look, look at America in the 1950s. We actually put people in jail because they believed in communism. And communism is just another dogma. It's just another, um, you know, it's just another way of looking at your, your system. Is that, was that equal rights for those people who all they wanted to do was understand communism? So they went to meetings and then they became blacklisted and jailed. It, it's, it's beyond belief that these people are so willing. Uh, never mind. I definitely hear you. I just have concerns that I, I, I know you, what you're saying is it's unequal and it's unfair and that this, a certain worldview is treated as it's crim, as if it's criminal. And then we're like an insufferably forced to endure another worldview. And it is really frustrating. And I think, but for me, I try to frame my point of view on broad principles. Like I kind of always try to think about what's the underlying principle that I'm trying to honor that like I would like to see in a constitution, even if it's not there. But like, and so for me, I realized that these arguments get really thorny really quickly when you actually realize how they can be used to reduce religious freedom, even though I see in the moment that the that whoever's exploiting it for bad reasons is being a dickhead. But like I, I still I still am concerned about the precedent being set and the implications. And my ancestors were religious minorities who felt the need to uh, flee persecution. It's salient to me because it's a part of the upbringing that I have. Like it's like um, maybe it's a sort of a taught identity or something. Like it 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 feels relevant to me, and it makes me concerned about. Um, anyways, hopefully I'm making sense. Sorry if I'm rambling. Well, the, the Ten Commandments is absolutely the wrong thing to have up. I wouldn't mind if they said, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not uh, lust after your neighbor's wife, and blah, blah, blah. But the very first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what does that tell a little kid walking into a school, looking at that Ten Commandments and go, okay, I'm Buddhist, I'm Muslim, I'm... And I can't have, who's this God? I, I totally hear you. I really do. I grew up in the DC area where religious diversity was the thing. But like, where do you draw the line? Like, do, do we just need more detail in the century code where it's okay if the teacher has it on their desk facing their own face? Or like, I mean, this is where I'm not sure. And I guess what I'm saying is if we want to go hardcore secular, like if we want our institutions to be very hardcore secular, we do have to look at France and we do have to look at the mistakes that they've made and we have to carve a different path. So it's, I'm not cool with the indoctrination. I'm not cool with the implications for religious minorities. I feel like I'm one because the Christianity I was raised in is so different from mainstream Christianity. So I feel alienated constantly. Uh, so I hear you there. Um, it's just, it's complicated for me and it would be cool to deconstruct the issues in good faith 
with people on different points of the political spectrum, because I think that we're not going to get anywhere on the issue if we don't. Right. I, well, I think you, you, the point is where you draw the line is the exact question that uh, never gets answered su sufficiently well, because it's such a difficult um, question of uh, beliefs and freedom. And uh, what's happened in the last 10 years is that a lot of uh, Christian beliefs have been weaponized to the extent where you can use them as a justification for discrimination, uh, whether it's denying health um, healthcare in the form of birth control to your employees or deciding you, you don't have to make a, a cake for a gay wedding. And uh, you can't weaponize your freedom uh, to discriminate. That's where the line, you know, that's where you stop, you stop that particular definition of freedom. But then, like you said, there's the other definition where you're telling people they can't wear a head, a headscarf uh, because, uh, you're <laughs> because of religious freedom. And that's obviously in the other direction and you don't want that either. So where, where, is the, where are you gonna draw that line? It's such a difficult question. So I, I think that would be a very interesting um, discussion. And it would be nice to bring in some some people that actually are religious <laughs> into discussion, uh, just because, you know. This is all why the founders didn't want the government involved in religion, religion. in the first place, because it's yeah. such a slippery slope. There, there, right. is no, there is no right percentage of government in religion, and there's no percentage, right percentage of religion in government. That's why they wanted them to be separate. Thomas, yeah. Jeff Thomas Jefferson called it. I mean, Thomas Jefferson is probably the most uh, ingenious as far as looking at religion as all religions are kind of bullshit. He, I mean, he, because they all are inclusive, the, I mean, exclusive, they're all completely. They're not weird. all exclusive. They're not. But but Dustin, I, I want to ask you a question. Okay, what to you is the seal the deal argument for a conservative who feels like it's inappropriate for the state to tell a teacher what they can have on them that is religious while at their workplace? Like, what? How, how do you respond to that concern? I think that you, you've got to look at you know the generic HR laws and rules that apply to everybody else on, on other things that might be considered to be uh, uh, offensive in, in some way. Uh, now, I, I believe this bill is mostly looking at protecting teachers from accusations that they're doing something wrong. It's not necessarily, it's not putting the Ten Commandments in classrooms, it's protecting teachers who choose to, right? Exactly. And so, that's why it's complicated. So, so from, you know, I, I think that there, there should be a level of teachers are allowed to do their thing as long as they're not imposing it on others. I mean, it's just, it comes to whether they are using their position as the, the authority in the room to promote the religious beliefs. That's where the line is. If they can have all the paraphernalia they want on the desk, they can even put it on the wall. But if they're not I mean, actually teaching it, then it doesn't really matter. Well, okay, it does so, matter, Dustin. It does well, wait, matter. I, I still want to elaborate my my inquiry. So, Dustin, let's say you were a legislator and you were in the committee that first reviewed this bill and you had the opportunity to amend it such that it had a good principle in place that sort of maximized freedom for all parties involved. Like, how would you have... Sorry, this is a really intense question, my bad. But, like, how would you have rewritten that bill, sir? 
Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it, or what, you it, just have canceled it. We just flushed down the toilet. I, I probably would have just voted no on it just because <laughs> I don't think the state should be involved. You know, it, it it's, it's yeah. really easy for, uh, I mean, my default is the state should not be involved. Then if, if there's no other choice, but for the state to be involved, then the, there should be a protection to let people do what they want, as long as they're not imposing on other people. And, and then where that line is, is not the state legislature, that is school superintendent, principal, school board level. That's okay. their job to figure out where their level at their community is. And then if the person who is offended thinks that it, it, that is not enough to, to resolve the issue, then they take it to the court. I mean, it's, that, it's not, that's just, I, I don't think it's an offensive issue. I think it's a indoctrination issue. I mean, if you have a teacher who has um, the 10 commandments is a prominent position in their classroom where every day young impressionable kids are looking at that thing and asking questions about that thing. And that teacher is going, well, this is the way you should be and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, you are indoctrinating religion. And that's one of the things that the founding fathers said, no, that's just not part of what we are as a republic. And so that's why it's bullshit to say that a teacher can, and, and I agree with you, Allie, if she wants to put it on her desk where she's looking at it every day so she can be a moral bitch, that's fine. But when it's like in everybody's Ouch. face every single day, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I guess you, a, you might have an issue. See, the, what is the teachers' union position on this? I don't even know. I mean, where did they stand on this? Because if Ooh. it is truly a protectionist, protecting the teacher issue, they probably took a position. Oh my gosh, you are so right, and that is a hilarious blind spot of mine as a member of that union. Um, I, well, I think I guess it kind of shows that as a member of that union, I don't really know, which means no position. What was so the I guess, number? Um, I, I want to say 11 something, but I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, and, and I think it was, it was Starts with a while one. ago. Um, or at see. least it, it went, it went through the Senate kind of early. And um, fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm, I agree. And, Please, I also want people to know I'm not trying to defend this bill. Just like, I feel like I'm, and I'm not yeah. trying to be an obnoxious devil's advocate person either. I'm just trying to be frank about how complicated I find it. Well, it is very complicated. And I think Dustin explained why it's complicated is that it comes down to the particular instance that we're talking about. And how far does that teacher push it? Are they doing what Norton's talking about, which is kind of actively pushing their point of view to students that are impressionable? That's bad. If they just have it on their desk and, you know, a kid walks up and asks about it, how do they answer that question? Obviously, <laughs> that could be um, good or bad, depending on the teacher. And we don't know that until it happens. So how do you protect someone uh, but give them their their freedom? I, I think about like uh, if what if the teacher was a Rastafarian and they had giant um, dreadlocks? The kids obviously would ask about the hair. Kids are pretty uh, inquisitive about stuff like that that's out of the ordinary and then once you start asking about the hair it's going to get to rastafarianism pretty pretty soon 
And, um, you know, I think, I think if it, it's knowing North Dakotans, if it was a Rastafarian teacher who was uh, the one that was explaining their religion to grade schoolers, they, um, they might not like it as much if it, if it was just someone with the Ten Commandments on their desk. Um, the, it was 2308, and uh, the uh, ND United did not take a position at all, and ND Cell was against it. Ooh, that's interesting. very interesting. Ooh. Yeah, so they, they the, the teachers union didn't want to get involved, which tells you a lot. Yeah. It does. And yes, thank you. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I think um I think we should probably wrap it up here soon. But you know, this this talk Norton reminds me of when I was in grade school and um I think it was second grade. It was around Christmas, and uh the afternoon activity was to make a um they gave us some red construction paper and some white construction paper. We're going to make a Santa Claus. And uh, we were all you know, cutting up our paper and doing this or that. And then the, the one kid that in the class that was Jewish, he had a red construction paper and he was drawing it on it with, with a ballpoint pen. And, um, and I remember that to this day. Cause I was like, well, why can't, why can't he make the Santa Claus with the, you know, we're all making Santa Claus. And, uh, and then someone explained to me that, oh, he, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus and his parents won't let him make Santa Claus. And as a second grader, I, I was just like, huh, and that was the extent of it. It wasn't that he was right or we were wrong. It was just like, well, this doesn't, it seems weird that um, why are we doing something that this guy is going to just kind of opt out of. Uh, this one Jewish kid here in North Dakota that's in our class. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, does making a, a cardboard or a construction paper Santa Claus uh, advocate on behalf of Christianity? Kind no, of. It doesn't. It, it, and I can speak to this. I, I grew up, it, my parents were part of a Christian church that was an Old Testament Christian church that met on Saturdays. It wasn't Seventh Day, though. Uh, we didn't celebrate Christmas or Easter. Or anything other than Thanksgiving and Fourth of July. Those were the two holidays that we were allowed. That was it. Wow. Uh, uh, I didn't eat any ham products until I was in my twenties. Uh, I hated the Christmas theme stuff in school. <laughs> I I hated being forced to go sing in, in a Christmas choir at school in Zap. Though you know, I remember the red pants they made me wear in the probably first <laughs> or second grade. I mean, that's yep. a, a, a very big thing. It, it wasn't a religious thing. It was the, you know, this was, it was the, the secularization of Christmas portion of it. And even that, you know, to me was, was annoying. Uh, so, you know, yeah. Where, where is that line? Because, you know, if, if you, if you go all the way, then, then you got to get rid of all of it. And if you're going to, if you're going to say certain things are not okay, then you've got to really go down the line and say that none of it's okay yep. and take all of those themes out. And if it's not educational, it's not in school. Well, it really surprised me that Burgum signed it. I mean, I just really, what a dick, you know? <laughs> well, we learned new things about Burgum this summer. So we have to update our priors as a Bayesian statistician would tell us to do. Um, <laughs> you know, and have different expectations, basically. Yeah, I didn't expect that at all. I expected him to veto this out of hand, and he just uh, went right along with it. So I'm, you know, wow. Yeah, I it, wanted, it's, it's, it's I, just wrong. I, I have to tell Ryan something, though. Ryan, 
yes. so my first boyfriend, like sort of like, you know, in the ch- child way, I was like 11 and 12 or something. And he was Jewish and his mom would be the, would sort of voice concerns about Christian stuff going on in my school. But um, in my case, it was not about Santa. There was literally some religious song we were singing in my public school. And she was just like, that's not cool. And I pulled him out of the performance. So I, I, my elementary school was really, really great, but it, it's not that it never made mistakes. So they, and it was like, we had a bunch of teachers who were like French African Christians. And I felt like, there was a desire to make people feel comfortable and included because they weren't American. And so nobody really wanted to step on their toes, but they would be very sort of spiritual and pro God and stuff. And so it was like a complicated, like different type of immigrants having conflicts and how we have like a secular enough, but inclusive society. And, you know, I was like a preteen kind of observing it and, figuring out and realizing it's really complicated. And then now I live in North Dakota where people will make a prayer for an entire room full of people. That's, it's not a religious event. And they'll refer to your son, like Jesus. And there may be people in the room who aren't Christian and it's just so awkward. So it's like, you know, it's, I'm, I just see in these different areas and I kind of, I would just wish that North Dakotans realize that not everyone's Christian. That'd be the starting point that I just, (laughs) can we please realize that there are people who have fallen to other categories and can we at least have some, use our language in a way that doesn't completely exclude them. That's a good start in my book. Hear, hear, and amen. (laughs) Well, growing up in North Dakota, I have become a, rock solid atheist so that's uh that tells you everything right so right they couldn't stop any of us we all got out yeah <laughs> well it, it is difficult and i think ellie ellie that's the the right way to to frame it is that just bringing up awareness that actually you know if someone that's a, tr- a true a believer of another non-christian religion and you start going into your prayer in this public setting, you're going to upset them. You know, whether you care or not is another question, but you're going to, it's going to happen. They, they believe something else. So you, you, do you have that enough awareness uh, of other perspectives to be able to take that into consideration? A lot of the, you know, this, this spills over into the trans debate too. Do you want to refer to that person with their preferred pronoun or do you not care whether they uh, are comfortable or not and uh, or do you not even care that what enough to learn more about it so you can understand exactly where they're coming from and um, North Dakota and other places are insulated to, to a degree where they haven't had to confront it as much so they're a little behind they're behind the times a little bit just because of the the, the lack of diversity in the community and uh, as we move forward, I think if there's a way to help these uh, learning opportunities arise more frequently, I think that helps everyone in the community. And just to understand that people are not like you. And there's a chance there's someone in the crowd that's not like you. And uh, what does that do to change your behavior or doesn't it? You know, that's what we have to think about. Um, we're at a half hour past our stopping point. I think this is a good point to stop. Uh, it's been a really good conversation. I want to thank everyone for participating. Uh, this has been the No Name Podcast. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll talk soon. Thanks. <laughs>